0: Revelations chapter 2. The last verse we looked at was in verse 11. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What we call death, and we have a funeral and those kind of things here in the world that we understand, is really not death. It's a physical death, and... Our body does die. Actually, we, um, our spirit leaves this body. And when the spirit is separated from this body, the body lets go of life. But that's not the real death. The real death, as Revelation calls it, the second death, is really the most important Death that hopefully you won't experience. We see there in a story where Jesus is talking. Shut that off, Robert. Where Jesus is talking about death, and he talks about a man. Okay, let's all watch him. Go ahead. Do everyone know how to shut off an amp? I was trying to ignore it. I really was. But uh, OK, we're set now. The ring has gone, machine's off. Now the fire alarms will go off. Okay. And Jesus was talking to the multitudes, and he talked about an actual death scenario that he himself had known about. Now it wasn't a parable, because when Jesus taught parables, he didn't mention names. But in this particular scenario, he mentions the name. He says there was a guy by the name of Lazarus. And he was a poor guy. And he was a very ill person. He had sores all over his body. And he would lay at the gate of this very wealthy man. And the only comfort he ever received was dogs licking his sores. And he would eat basically the leftovers from the rich man's table, whatever he threw away. Well, as time passed, Lazarus died, and also this rich man died. And they both go in to, at that time, Sheol. Before the cross of Christ, there was a holding place in the belly of the earth. One half of it was called Hades, the other was the bosom of Abraham. And the righteous would go into the bosom of Abraham. There is a place, it was a place of comfort. And then the other was Hades, a place of torment. And in this time, they were both there, and they could see each other. And the rich man who was in torment, which literally is the word for the dripping of acid, when they put acid upon some metal to get the different corrosion off it. And that was what he was experiencing there. And he says, please, Father Abraham, allow Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and dip it upon my tongue. For I'm extremely thirsty in this place. And Abraham said, it's impossible for there's a chasm between us and it cannot be bridged. Your lifetime, you experienced the joy and the comfort and the freedom and you did what you wanted. You had your free will. You took a choice. You made your decisions. And then death came. And now you're experiencing your torment. And Lazarus was a righteous man. and He's experiencing comfort now even that is not hell nobody's in hell yet the hell that God's prepared first he's prepared for the devil and his angels and the Bible says there is one way to salvation and whoever hasn't gone through that door of salvation they will enter into hell narrow is the way that leads to life broad is the way that leads to destruction narrow is the way that leads to life few are them who find it wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many are those who find it and so unless they take the one way of escape there is no way any other way under heaven which men can be saved except through that one way through Jesus Christ he alone is the door of salvation Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he is the door in those days, the sheep, the shepherd would take the sheep through pastures and out in the pasture land, they, they would have rocks and they would make like a little wall in the middle of nowhere and they would have a, an entrance, a little doorway, but there was no door. The shepherd, a good shepherd at night, would take, keep the sheep out in the pasture and one by one, he'd let the sheep through and he'd look in their nose and in their ear and touch their whole body to see if there was any insects that had gotten into their fur and then let them go on in. And one by one, till they were all in, and then he would himself lay in front of that opening so no one could come in and no one could go out. And he said, I am the door. And unless you enter by me, you cannot be in my fold. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And those who have not heard Christ's voice and open the door to their heart, therefore they will go to hell. In the place of Hades, that's one location where they're being held for hell. When Jesus Christ comes in the second coming, we're going to find out in the book of Revelations that um, we will come after the rapture of the church when ten thousands of his saints will come with him, and then God's going to take the devil and his angels and all those who haven't put their trust in him and throw them in to that place of Gehenna, hell, the place of fire, an unquenchable burning, with there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus talked a tremendous amount about hell. He says it's taking the person, and they first tie them up, and then the person's cut in little pieces, he says, in another place. In one location in Luke, he actually gives a scenario where they're being judged. And as they are... that they have not received Christ and they're cast into hell, they actually get to see the saints in heaven experiencing the joys of heaven and that's their last view before they go into hell itself. Thinking, oh, heaven with its joy, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. A place to be with God forever and ever. Oh, why did I live for myself and my own pleasures and my own will and... Wanting to say in my heart there was no God when I knew there was a God. Why did I keep living as if I were the most important and I was the supreme person to please and to serve when really it was God was the one I was supposed to serve and to please? Jesus says, unless you lose your life in this world, you won't gain it in the life to come. If you've gained your life here, you will lose it in the life to come. The church, Jesus was sick of the church in the end days. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sick of the church sometimes myself. See these guys on television and hear the stuff on radio and the stuff they're doing in the name of Jesus, and I just, oh, I'd like to write them a letter, very much like Christ wrote the letter to these churches. The first church there was the loveless church, the church of Ephesus, which the word Ephesus literally means to relax your grip, to let go. And the church here was only on the outside worshiping God really they had relaxed their grip and when it, Monday through Saturday they had no grip on God whatsoever they were living their own way their own thoughts and their own strength Christ wasn't the center of their life as Paul said in him we live and move and have our being that wasn't the that wasn't the, the case at all with this church they, had, they needed to repent and to remember those works and to begin doing the first works and the last week we looked at the church of Smyrna. And there Christ had a lot of good things to say about that church, but they were going to go through a time of testing. And after that time of testing, they would be proven faithful, and they wouldn't experience the tribulation period. The Bible, interesting enough, tells us that God brings testings into our life, trials into our life, and they're from Him and they're actually to produce in us a character as they challenge our faith they make us to have to hang on to trust in Christ and to keep on trusting and I wish trials were these things that lasted ten minutes here comes a trial hang on only nine minutes to go it's just not that way some trials you have for your entire life some trials you just seem like I've always been in this trial and you just wish oh I wish this thing was over but yet you just keep trusting. As Job, as we talked about last week, was a guy who just, man, when it rains, it pours. He first lost everything and lost his kids, lost all his businesses. He was the richest man in the world and then the poorest man in the world in one day. man who had uh, over a dozen kids and then has zero kids. And then after that, his very health from boils on the top of his head to the bottom of his feet all around in boils. And then his best friend, some friends, just telling me I sin in his life. And he's just so certain. Hey, naked I came in, naked I go out. Praise be the name of the Lord. Though he were to slay me, yet would I trust in him. And so God gives us these trials. And the main characteristic he tells us in Romans 5 and in James chapter 1 is perseverance. An ability to trust in God through any and every circumstance that that testing of our faith would produce in us a perseverance. Interesting point. Jesus, talking on prayer in Luke chapter 18, says, I say this parable to you, that you would always pray and not lose heart. And he says there was a widow woman who needed some legal help, legal protection. And she came to this judge who hated people, basically, he didn't care about, especially widows, unless they had some money to make benefit of it some way. He didn't really care about some widow. He didn't respect man, nor did he fear God. But yet she continued to persist and persist and persist. And finally he says, not because I care about you, not because I fear God, but just because you're going to wear me out, I'm going to give you what you want. And Jesus says, listen to what this unjust judge said. And will God God not bring about justice for his elect speedily who cry out to him day and night? And here's the end point of that parable. Jesus is sort of wondering, when the Son of Man comes, will there be faith on the earth? I do believe that the end times, as we find in Timothy, is a time where there's an unleash of thousands, millions, of trillions. I don't know how many demons. They're very specific demons. I believe these demons have been trained personally by Devil and uh, Demon University. <laughs> for several thousand years very specifically just to learn how to deceive men in these last days and we find in these last days that as we read there in 2nd Timothy men are lovers of themselves lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God and that the church in the last days is becoming more and more like the world they have no faith, no persistence, no desire to overcome. God fixes my cure now, or I'm going to quit believing in Him. God helps me out now, or He doesn't exist. And if there was a God, then why is this horrible thing happening? Why am I not happy? Why am I not joyful? You know, Why can't my psychologist find out what's wrong with me if there's really a God? Or whatever their thing is in these last days. It's this faith that is almost no faith at all. And it's interesting in Thessalonians, he says, in the last day there would be a great falling away in the church. And we see in times of church history where God put men through a time that was just unbelievable of making them deal with things that would just blow your mind. He didn't come in and cause another worldwide flood. He just allowed things to exist. And we find from the last book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament, 400 year period went by where God said nothing to man and there's no doubt in my mind that God could do that again if he wills and I believe in these last days it's going to be very similar to that it's going to be a time where there's you basically it's going to be a time where you're going to have faith and trust in God because there's not going to be a lot of outward circumstances to put your faith in And I do believe this is why God is taking you now through your little individual trials that you're to be rejoicing in to build up that faith, to give you that perseverance so in the last days you can overcome. And I do believe that there are people today who are unwilling to allow trials to have their perfect work and I really wonder if these people are truly born again. Because I do believe that one of the signs of a person who is going to make it To the end is a person who has faith in Christ, to have continual faith in Christ. As First John says, they went out from us because they were never really of us. They went out from us that it might become evident that they were never of us. And I do believe that there's people who are on the roller coaster with God, who are for God when everything's going great, and they're against God as soon as things go bad. That these people are only a part of the church because it feels good to them. They like the friendship. They like the acceptance. They like uh, they have a sense of the truth, as it says in Hebrews 6. They tasted the truth. They tasted of the spiritual things. There's people who are like that amongst us, who have this taste for Christianity, but yet they don't have Christ in their hearts because they're unwilling to deny themselves and take up that cross and follow Jesus. They're unwilling to lose their life in this world in order to gain it in the life to come. In the last days, it's going to be a very difficult time. And as I mentioned, the church, these seven churches that he's talking about in Revelations is times of church history. But I also believe it's times of different types of people in the church. I believe there are people who have lost their first love in the church. I believe there are people like in Smyrna who are going through times of testing. And uh, there's a reason for it. You need to keep trusting in Christ. And then like tonight, as we look at the church in Pergamos in verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp, two-edged sword. Talking about the Word of God. And I don't care what your question is tonight, the Word of God has the answer. I don't care what your need is. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your circumstance is. It's the Word of God that's going to bring you the answer. And so Christ brings that two-edged sword that pierces the heart. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even to the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I think people are often as... We find out in the Old Testament when they harden their heart against God because they said, God doesn't see. God doesn't know. And it's like God's not paying attention to everything that's going on. You know, there's too many people. There and we're all like little ants on earth, and oh, I can't keep up with what's happening with everybody. Well, God's mind and His, He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. Actually, the full presence of God. A hundred percent of God's presence could be with every one of us every second of the day. Everybody on planet earth all at once. That's really radical when you think about it, because we are one place at one time. God knows you. There's been times where I've gone up to meet somebody... And I'll go up to say, Hi, I'm I know who you are. You're Brian Newberry, and you're the pastor at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and you know so and so. And I remember the time you were there and I heard you speak here, and this and that, and my going, like, Whoa. It's almost a weird feeling. God knows you. He knows everybody by name, those who are under the earth, on the earth, and in the heavens. God knows everybody. And God knows your works the very first work to your last work. He knows everything. And he also knows when Satan's come your way. And here in Pergamos, the very throne was a stronghold of Satan. Now we do find out that Satan does have, in the spiritual realm, he has uh, fortresses, and he has outposts, and he has places of strongholds. And I believe here in the South Bay Area of San Diego is a very big stronghold for Satan. Most of the crime in San Diego happens on this south side of Highway 94. But at this time in Pergamos, today known as as Pergamum, was a place where it was actually known as the city of religion. They had many, many temples in this city, great temples in this city. temple of Athena was there. They had another big temple, to Caesar Augustus. A great altar to Zeus that was known at the ancient time as one of the seven wonders of the world. And they had a lot of strange going-ons there um, in Pergamos, a lot of strange, strange religions. And... Uh, Satan had a real stronghold that was poisoning the world from that one spot. Now we find out in 1 Peter chapter 5 that Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeing whom he can devour. There's no doubt that if you're a Christian at some point in time Satan is going to have a very stronghold in your area. Maybe even in your household where you live. And God knows you And he knows your past works. And he knows how Satan is trying to thrash you right now. He knows it all. And he knows those who have kept the name of Christ through incredible, difficult times. And here there was one person, we don't know anything about it, uh, church history-wise, but there was evidently a guy by the name of Antipas who was martyred. And evidently he was one of the first martyrs In this area. And as much as they were open to all the thousands of religions here in Pergamos, they were not open to Christianity. It was a time of great persecution um, about 300 years after Christ. And here he says that, uh, but I do have some things against you. I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, it's interesting here that the Bible has a lot to say about Balaam. It's a very interesting story. It's one of the funniest stories uh, in the Bible. How Balaam was a priest. Evidently, he was a Jew or at least he was a prophet of God. But he wasn't with the children of Israel, but the children of Israel down in the valley. And Balak, the king in that area, wanted them to be cursed. He knew Balaam was a man of God, and he went to him and said, Hey, curse these people. And Balaam says, Sure. And God, can I curse them? And God says, No. So Balak says, I'll give you a lot of gold. I'll give you a lot of silver. I'll make you a wealthy man. God, can I curse them? You know, I'll be wealthy. King comes back and says, man, I'll give you more gold and more silver and I'll make you even more wealth beyond your wildest dreams. And and uh, he went back to God saying, God, you know, I know you said no, but man, count it up, Lord. I'm going to be a wealthy man just after this one little curse. God says, go ahead, Balaam. Yeah, go on down. So Balaam starts heading on down to a position so he can overlook all the children of Israel in the valley and curse them. And actually, God said, don't say anything that I don't put in your mouth. And as he's heading on down, he's on this donkey. And this donkey uh, first runs out in this field. And he hits this donkey and gets it back on the road. And a little while later, the donkey runs up against the wall and bangs his leg, smashes his leg. Starts hitting that donkey. And a little bit of a while later, the donkey just sits down and it won't move. Balaam's just furious at this point. He's hitting that thing and beating that thing, and the donkey turns around, and starts talking to him, "Hey man, Have't I always been a good donkey to you?" Have you ever, in all the years that you've been riding me, have you ever noticed me to ever do these kind of things?" And Balaam, he's, he's going mad. he's talking to this donkey. He's mad. He ran on the road, and he smashed my leg up and he's talking to this donkey. I don't know which was crazier the fact the donkey was talking or he's talking to it. I think his name was Mr. Ed. I'm not sure. I have to to reread that passage. But then God opened Balaam's eyes, and there was an angel in front of him with a sword that was getting ready to slay Balaam. And this donkey saved his life. His name might have been Lassie. I'm not sure. And we actually find out a lot. Actually, in Jude, we find out the errors of Balaam. And that's not talking about this. In Peter, we talk about the ways of Balaam, which was uh, covetousness. The error of Balaam was believing that God was going to curse the children of Israel because they were sinners, which wasn't the case. And it wasn't the covetousness talking. It was talking this time about the doctrine of Balaam. And what Balaam, guys, he went and he, he proclaimed blessings upon the children of Israel... But later on, he told Balak the way he could get to the children of Israel, by going and get the Moabite women and have them intermarry with the children of Israel, and through intermarriage, he could get they could get them to worship their idols and to have all kinds of sexual immorality. And so that's exactly what Balak did. He polluted the children of Israel from within. So from without, here in Pergamus, They're able to defend against the persecution. They're able to defend against the martyrdom. All the weird teachings and all the weird religions, they have an apology for it. They know the right answers. They've studied. They they can give the right doctrinal description for their uh, heresy that's being taught. But they weren't ready for the back door that Satan was going to come in, which was joining the church. And what happened... During this time, was Constantine, his mother actually proclaiming to be a Christian. It's very interesting comparing with Gorbachev. Many believe that he's going to be the Antichrist. Constantine was going to battle for the seat of the emperor, and another general from the east was coming up, and they were going to have a battle the next day. And as he was looking over the battleground, as the story goes he saw a cross in the sky and there was written by this sign you will have victory and so he had everybody put a cross on and they carried a cross and they won in battle and news got back that Constantine was converted and everybody of every other religion got baptized and had a Bible in their hand the time he got back (laughs) everybody became a Christian and so Christianity became a world ruling political force if you weren't a Christian you were dead and everybody was a Christian but unfortunately it was only in a idolatrous way it was only in a way that was causing much sin because they had many pagan practices and Constantine didn't want to offend people or mess up the business economy so you know they had their different holidays, they different feasts. In the wintertime they had the solstice which was basically in December, the latter part of December, around December 22nd or so, they would start lighting fires and candles and stuff because the Sun was dying out. You know, the days were getting shorter and they had to help the Sun out so they would trying to light fires and candles and to try to get the, fun, the sun to start lightening up again and then right around December 25th the days would start getting longer And so they would have a big feast. All right, we accomplished it. And so uh, the day of Saturnalia there, and they would get drunk and have a great feast and orgies and everything else. Well, now that Christianity comes back in, or Christianity's there, it's like, hey, you know, can't have this day of Saturnalia, but why don't we let's not break down a good thing I mean, this is a great feast we do have a lot of fun everybody looks forward to it so let's change it let's, let's call it let's have a mass during that night let's have a a mass and it's about Jesus being born let's call it Christ mass and so during that night before we start getting drunk and stuff let's have a mass let's have a service remembering that Christ was born as a baby and so therefore I told you something else would happen So therefore Christmas comes about and so even today we have all the candles and all the lightings and all the different lights on the trees and all the different uh, customs which basically come from the pagan day of Saturnalia. And then at springtime they had a nether feast when the leaves came on the trees and the flowers began to bloom and it was a symbol of life and so they would take eggs and they would color them and all the little baby rabbits that would start being born and they would give rabbits out and and they would hide the eggs and they would play with the rabbits and it was a great feast. They didn't want to take that away. It was called Ashtart. And so they changed it over to Easter because what had happened years earlier, as a matter of fact, right after the flood, one of Noah's sons, Shem, went and to Babylon began to Formed Babylon and began to, just a few generations after the flood, seeing what God had done, still their hearts became wicked again and they began to worship these other gods they began to formulate. One particular person by the name of Nimrod, also known as, known as Tammuz, that was a great hunter. And he was just a really elite type of person. Everybody really looked up to him, and so his mother began to tell people that, oh yeah, he was virgin born. That actually I had him before I was ever married. And he is. That's why he's elite. He's from the gods. And the tradition goes that he went out to hunt, as a great hunter, to hunt wild boar, and actually one turned on him and killed him. And there he lied in the wilderness for three days and three nights. And then he rose from the dead. And he came back in after this day of resurrection, Astart, and so they just changed it over into Christ since the stories were so similar. And this happened thousands of years before Christ. So therefore, the story was able to be very similar. So let's just make that the day that Christ raised from the dead. Jesus was not born in the wintertime because shepherds were never in the fields during the winter time. And if you look on the time of the Passover and so forth. Again, uh, it's a little bit closer to possibly when Christ raised from the dead, but still it's taking these pagan holidays and formulating them. And so they begin to make uh, statues of Nimrod and so forth, but as time went on they actually began to uh, worship his mother more than him, Semiramis, the one who gave birth to this great one. So the one obviously who gave birth is greater than the one that was born. And so they would have great pictures of her as a full-grown woman, but they would make him a baby. Uh, little Tammuz with his mother Semiramis, and they would put a halo around both of them, usually. And so today, if you ever wonder how you got the picture of Mary holding a little baby Jesus with a halo around his head, it's, all it is is you'll find those same exact pictures th- thousands of years before Christ. Constantine taking over and making it a world religion and from that um, Constantine from Rome made it a very political figure and unfortunately uh, they tried to make it as the only one universal church and tried to keep it in that position but uh, as it went on there actually became another political force in Germany and at one time there were two heads of the Catholic Church a Pope in Rome and a Pope in Germany and there was a great battle that went on and finally one in Germany lost and end up in the Dark Ages historically. And I could go on about that, but I won't. And so what's happened to the church is they joined Satan himself through trying to say, we are now the way things should be when Christ came on this scene he never came as a political figure if Christ wanted to be born into a political family he could have would have been no problem he had his choice he could be anywhere he wanted he came into Mary and as a Nazareth as a shepherd because he was trying to show the nature of God through from the way he was born to the way he lived that God is not a God of power or force trying to force people that God is a God Gives man a free will, gives man a free choice. And so the whole idea of a world religion, which is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do, is very much not from the heart of God. God is not interested in any organizations, God's not interested in this organization. God's interested in men and women knowing Him and walking with Him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if somehow we get in our head that if we're a part of this organization the three or four hours a week that that we're right with God, it means nothing. And he says that very thing in verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. The word Nico means to conquer and the the word laos is the word laity to have a ruling, a conquering, uh, clergy hierarchy over the people. So I tell you what you are to believe. Don't bring your Bibles. Don't read your Bibles. You learn from me how to follow God and just do what I say. I'll hear from God for you. If you're having a spiritual problem, you come to me and I'll tell you what you need to know. You, you've committed a sin, you come to me and confess it and I'll take care of it. Me and God will deal with your sin. You just confess it and I'll tell you what you need to do to take care of that sin. People subtly, even in churches that don't necessarily teach a clergy hierarchy in that way, still people can get that kind of thought process in their mind. I'll go to church and I'll be taken care of after that sermon on Sunday. Truly, any sin that I committed uh, has to be wiped away through enduring such long messages or something like that. I don't know. Let me tell you. You are personally responsible for your own spiritual well-being. And when you stand before God and you say, well, some preacher told me this, God's going to say, so what? I didn't say that. Well, doesn't the Bible say somewhere? No, it doesn't. Where did you hear that? Well, I heard it said. It doesn't matter. God has given every one of us the personal responsibility of bearing the yoke of learning of Him. He's called every one of you to be a disciple, to be one who is a learner. He stopped the multitudes in John chapter 8 and he said, If you wish to follow me, you need to abide in my word, to continue in my word. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You, every one of you, are not to be people who just live life on your own and trying to fit Christianity here and therein. You are to be people from the morning when you wake up to make yourself delight in the word. And as you delight in the word, you meditate on it all day long. Read it again at lunchtime. Before you eat your sandwich, open it again. Get home and park your car at night. Read another couple of verses. Or during the afternoon, read the Bible to your kids. Night before you go to bed, read a couple more verses. That you just always to be in God's Word. If you're not in God's Word and meditate on it day and night, you'll never be successful in this Christian thing. You're always going to be coming up short. You're always going to be out of energy no motive no desire for God no desire to pray no desire to worship no desire you're always going to be in that status of something's wrong something's wrong yeah if you're a Christian you got to be filled up with Jesus that's the whole idea you wouldn't use any other outside force being drunk with wine being drunk with television being drunk with your music being drunk with your fellowship of your friends not getting any other kind of force to stimulate you but you would allow God Himself to be the one to stimulate you. We all need stimulation. We all need to have a high. We all need an experience of ecstasy. We all need that. We need to experience the ecstasy and the supernatural. We need to experience the, the ecstasy in relationships. And if we're not feeling this ecstasy in relationships, we'll try to find another one. If you're not a filling this ecstasy and the supernatural, you'll start you know, getting horror movies or something to try to fill that void in your life. You have to have that. It. all a part of our nature. We're made of it. And God, in a personal relationship with Him, meets all of those needs. But until you make Christ the Lord of your life, put Him first in your life, say, Jesus, come into my life. I commit my life to you to hear your voice and to follow you. To deny myself, take up that cross and follow you. To abide in your word, to continue in your word. And it alone be that which sets me free. Let me tell you, I don't know what you have, but it is not Christianity. Jesus says there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. There is one type of Christian life. Anything other than that one type of Christian life You can call it Christian if you want, but it's not Christian. You are listening to the devil who has slipped in the back door and is beginning to dilute the other people around you or dilute the very church you're in until you have this sense of Christianity, but Christ is not in the middle of it at all. And he says in the last days that people would have a form of godliness but have no power in it. You may have a form of godliness, but you have no power in your life. You know... You haven't read God's Word all week. You know you haven't prayed. You know you haven't desired Him. You know you've been listening to world music and all these weird programs on the TV and filling your life up with, trying to fill your life up with other ways besides God's Spirit and besides God's Word. You need to wake up because Christ has something against those who have been taught by Balak. People who are bringing in other forms of seduction, other forms of. Guidance, And just as the people Balak was able to get the Moabite women to come in and to infiltrate the people to get them intermarried to get them to worship their, their gods in the same way Satan may have come into your life and infiltrated you The Bible says it's like the weeds that come the desire for riches the desire just for other things choked out that plant You may be one who has been choked out So you're still just making a place in a pew. You're just another face in the church. You're not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the main things you're going to do when you start into this road where you've already been deluded and you've already been choked out, but you're still a part of the life of the church, and this is the one thing you're going to see right away, you're going to want to try to find someone to run your life. If you've been raised Catholic, you'll think, oh, those were great days being an altar boy. I remember the candles and all the smell. Ah, oh, boy, that was such good times. The eggnog after the Christmas mass—we used to go and drink over at Grandma's house. Ah, oh, I miss that. Wanting to be filled up once again, thinking of how astute the clergy hierarchy, the Nicolaitans looked in their black robes and their white collars thinking how powerful the building was, so big and high with the stained glass windows, and how solid you felt because you knew it was all around the world and it was a wealthy organization. I need that again. I need something that's solid. This church just wanted to sing praise songs and teach to the Bible. Man, that's not helping me out. I need something that's been around at least three or 4,000 years not seven. <laughs> See where your heart's turning? Jesus says he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He hates every aspect of this. Christ doesn't want someone ruling and reigning over your life except for him. All the church is to be is like a mustard seed. It's a spice added to your Christian walk. You've been walking with the Lord all week and now you come and you hear the preaching of God's words. The Bible says it matures you. That it strengthens you. But that's it. It doesn't bring you life. It's not your relationship with God. It's not what's going to keep you walking with Him. Church will never do that for anybody. It wasn't meant to do that for anybody. And what did we find with that mustard seed? It grows big. And all the birds of the nest, and we know that the bird represents Satan, comes and dwells in it. If I were to split you in half tonight it would probably be accurate to how many of you are really from the devil and how many of you are really from God. We see the tares sown among the wheat. We see as the nets cast that says that they draw out the bad fish with the good. As much as my heart is saddened to say it there's many of you here tonight who are going to say in that day Lord, Lord, let me in. He's going to say, be gone, you doers of iniquity. You never did my will. You never had a relationship with me. You never walked with me. You never talked with me. You never experienced a relationship 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You had a form of religion, a form of godliness. Oh, it was contemporary, or it was from the Word. Oh, you knew all the answers. You had studied it from Genesis to Revelations. But you never had made a commitment In your life to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and so because of that the longer you were in the status of having a form of godliness but yet no power the longer you continue to live in it the colder your heart began the harder your heart became as it says in the last days man's mind's gonna be seared you've seared your mind from allowing the Holy Spirit to say hey wake up man this is you you are that person you don't walk with me. You don't read the word. You're not seeking me. You're not, we don't have a relationship. But yet even as the words now are being spoken, you just, oh, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, I, I come here every Sunday. I, I just, last week I read, well maybe it wasn't last week, it was the week before maybe, but I read the word. I'm just going through a dry time, man. Right. Christ is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all and he goes on to say in verse 16 repent you know I love that word (laughs) I'll tell you why I love that word so much because it just says turn to God and he does it all I just love that because the Bible says if you confess your sin boom that's it God takes it from there he's faithful he's just he's righteous he forgives you of your sins and cleanses you from all unrighteousness Peter preached, he says, repent that times of refreshing may come to you. I love that, just that heart of saying, God, I'm not serving you, I'm not following you, I don't have a relationship with you, Lord, forgive me. And then just to turn around and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to make a true commitment from my heart to you today. How simple that is. There's almost no effort of all, it's just a change of heart. It says the Bible says that your heart be turned to a godly sorrow of just realizing the position you're in and just saying, God, here's where I'm at. That's all you gotta do. And God's faithful, He's righteous, He takes it from there, and not only will he forgive your sins, but He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. He says, Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, swiftly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. I love that. We are going to have such an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I had a, many years ago now, I don't know how long ago, but maybe a couple years ago, I had this dream that was definitely from the Lord and in this dream I'd come into this place and I'd open these big beautiful doors and I walked into this room that was just it was just gorgeous I I can't really describe it to you but I'm a lover of wood and there was just these beautiful woods and there was a desk at the far end of the room and there was a person sitting there and as I walked in the door I looked I'm like I know that person and I started walking closer and as I got closer he looked up and I'm looking and I'm going I know you, where do I know you from? You know when you see someone, you can't remember you can't place the face to I know you and as I kept walking closer and closer and he stood up and he came out from around the desk and finally I got a few feet from him and I looked at him and it was Jesus and this incredible love came over both of us and I can't explain it to this day, but we just hugged and we kissed, and it was like there was no sexuality or anything like that. It was just like a, a child in the arms of dad, and we were just kissing and hugging and hugging and kissing. It was like, you know, when you hug somebody and like you don't want to let go? And you both feel that way. And so you just keep hugging. And it's like you don't let go for a long time. And it's like you just want to keep kissing and you just keep on and keep on. It was just like it was endless of just us hugging and kissing and hugging and kissing. And, it just went on for on and on, on. It's just the joy. And I remember waking up from that going, Wow, Jesus, I do know you. And the Bible says in First John, I write these things to you, that you might know him. Let's look. If you just turn to the left, just about three pages to First John chapter one there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard in our ear, seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, which is the name for Jesus. In verse 2, the life was manifested, Jesus Christ, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have Fellowship, which is a koinonia, intimate relationship with us, and our truly our intimate relationship with the Father, with His Son Jesus Christ, and these things we write to you that your joy may be made full. John, in writing this, who spent those years with Jesus Christ, is saying, "I'm just as close with Him now. My eye doesn't see Him, my ear doesn't hear Him. Let me tell you, my fellowship is just as intimate with Him." As Peter, who had been with the Lord, said, although we don't see Him, yet we love Him. And I'll tell you, if God were here tonight, His word of His mouth would come forth and just say He loves you and it would melt every single one of you. His love for you is so great. Do you love Him? Have you really made a commitment to following Him and to serving Him and to doing His will? Is He truly the Lord of your life, Monday through Sunday, 24 hours a day? Is His Word your delight? Is He the first and the last in your life? Or do you live and try to fit God in? And occasionally He gets in a little bit more than most of the time. And boy, you feel good. And Him we are to live and move and have our being. And I'll tell you folks, when we get to heaven... The time that we spend here denying ourselves and taking him to that cross and following Jesus is going to seem like a small thing compared to when we have that intimate time with Him. And He writes upon that white stone that new name that only me and Him know about because we're so close, we're so intimate. I don't know if it'll be darling or dear, or, it'll be something. My precious son, my beloved, I don't know. It'll be something special that me and Him will know about. Probably you big sinner saved by grace would be mine. <laughs> but I've repented. Times of refreshing have come. I believe it's a white stone because I believe there's also, we find out later, that there is a black stone. The blotting out of the name out of the book of life. Are you ready? If Christ were to come tonight. Are you a hundred percent? Are you ready? that He is truly the Lord of all your life. On your way home tonight, if you were to get in a wreck and die, do you know you would be in the place of paradise to be with Him? Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name right now that you would give ears to hear to those that you're calling tonight those that You're knocking on the door of their heart tonight. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that we would not resist You or say no to You or we'll do it later. I'll pray silently. I don't want anybody to know. I've... Lord, You died on a cross for us. Let us res- stand up and let everybody know that we're following You. There's no holding back. I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's You. You're first. You're always in my life. You're 100% of my everything. That I might lose all and gain you. Might lose my life in this world and gain it in the life to come. Lord, hear us.